0: What's the aim? What is your aim? And then the response is usually, well, freedom from suffering. Mm. But what do you mean by suffering that you're trying to be free from? And what would freedom mean?
1: Right. Oh, yeah. So what is suffering, basically?
0: Yeah. What do you understand by what are you trying to escape?
1: Yeah. Because uh, the reason... A mind suffers is because the mind doesn't understand suffering, yes. not because man- mind experiences suffering. But of course, everybody starts by non-understanding. So, firstly, you experience suffering. You want to get rid of it. You want to deal with it. You want to seek. You want to practice. You want to just do something about it. Uh, but then, yes, if if you have come across the right instruction, then you will, you should be, realizing gradually that right that which i'm trying to get rid of that suffering that pain actually needs to be understood in order to get rid of it so then do i understand suffer- what is suffering for me so when i experience discomfort what is where is that suffering is it just state of mind state of the feeling both neither in between have i understood what suffering is because i'm you know i'm i feel justified in being preoccupied and and, and constantly seeking the answer and practice to get rid of it. But as I said, if you actually start reading the suttas closely, you realize getting rid means understanding. That's how you abandon it, Not, not, not having it. So what is there that needs to be understood? So what is suffering? Yeah, let's start with that.
2: Mental anguish uh, pressure
3: pressure uh, but in terms of anguish and mm-hmm.
2: uh, stress is a stress
1: mental yeah. stress so uh, can you have a pleasant feeling experienced through your senses and so on, but mentally suffer on account of it? can you have an unpleasant feeling but mentally not suffer on account of it? Yes to all. Functions. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So, so then suffering is not in how you feel, which is why we come back to what I keep saying on and on and on and on. You have to stop feeling, taking for granted and feeling justified in trying to get rid of your feelings because they bother you because you're acting out of the bother of the feeling means you're affirming your assumption, your wrong view that the problem is in the feeling. So where is then that suffering? If it's not in the feeling, if if you can sometimes feel good or bad, but not necessarily suffer, see if the suffering is in the feeling each time you're experiencing discomfort or feeling not so good, you would also have to suffer on account of it. But the fact that you don't, means it does not actually match, it doesn't add up that suffering is there, because otherwise why are you not suffering?
0: Aren't there two types of unpleasant feelings. So some are connected with, let's say, bodily state, um, I don't know whatever, mm-hmm. and others are connected with, let's um, say, well, I'd call them your karma. Basically, it's it's uh, a result of your unwholesome actions that that cause sort of distress, maybe remorse, and and all all this, let's mm-hmm. say, all the hindrances. So,
1: well, yeah, but that's irrelevant. But you can uh, have two types, six types. Neither of them is the cause of suffering, because if your karma would be the cause of suffering, means you wouldn't be able to do anything about it until the karma runs out. And as the Buddha said himself, that's a completely wrong view. It's a form of determinism. So yes, some might be caused by karma, some might be caused by what you did, what you thought, some might be caused by immediate physical experience, some might be caused by change of elements. Those just why they're there, but that doesn't matter, because none of them is the root of suffering. Presently arisen cause, presently arisen suffering. And that's exactly the point. See, people would be concerned about where their feelings came from and why, because they still assume that the suffering is in them or defined by them. So it's the, in the broadest terms, as we said so many times before, it's your present enduring attitude to the presently enduring feeling, in regard to the present enduring feeling. That's where the suffering is. So, so uh-huh.
0: is it possible to be, um, I say, I know, enlightened and still uh, uh, suffer on account of of your hindrances? I say.
1: No, it's possible to be enlightened and still have discomfort and uncomfortable feelings coming. That's true. But you wouldn't suffer on account of them. Mm.
0: But uh, isn't it like this that, that the nature of of these feelings, uh, so the, the the origin of these feelings is changed? So they might be coming from from um, from body, but they're not going to come from from the hindrances. So and
1: so this. No, uh, no, no. Well, it doesn't matter. That's the point. Like in that sutta where the Buddha lists those uh, seven or eight things, why? Because of which one might feel suffering. It was just to tell you, basically, that it, it one, one of the reasons was circumstances and accident. One why? One might feel? Well, one might experience discomfort. Feel it, feeling. Feeling, it. yeah, sorry, not suffering. But why one might feel discomfort and experience uncomfortable feelings? Change of the elements, change of the bile, and so on. Previous karma was just one of the reasons. In other words, the whole point was like, yes, they will have a reason to be there. The reasons might change, but if feeling was not a problem to start with, why it is there and what reasons are behind it are equally not a problem. And feeling is not a problem. The root of suffering is not feeling. It's not one suffers because one feels. No, one suffers because one craves. And one craves in regard to what one feels, regardless of why one feels that or this and where it came from. So, present enduring attitude, i.e., craving towards present enduring feeling, regardless of why it came and why, and for how long, and, and what caused it, and whether it will be caused again. So how do you start? By upgrading or removing the wrong attitude or fading away or abandoning, relinquishing, overcoming the wrong attitude towards whatever you're currently feeling. What would be the necessary first step
3: sense restraint and virtue. Exactly. Why? Because it's non... I mean, it's uh, (coughs) emulating uh, non-craving to... to, Yeah, instead of...
1: (coughs) In other words, because non-sense restraint and non-virtue would always be rooted in craving. Yeah. Whether you know it or not. Yeah, it requires craving. Well, and that... Exactly. Craving would then perpetuate the assumptions where the problem is. Acting out of craving feeds the assumptions as to what you should act towards and where the problem is. So, virtue, sense restraint. And as we discussed in previous talks, that kind of starts revealing the, um, the intentions, the choices on that mental level makes it more obvious, which is what starts constituting the development of the mind. So if you're not acting by body, by speech, you're now discerning the intentions, the leaning, the attitudes of the mind in regard to this that's felt or that that is felt, you can start discerning the difference or at least distinguishing it. Now, you can't willingly choose to not have a certain attitude towards a feeling, so... If there is a prospect of uh, agreeable feeling, sensuality, uh, safety of, of some sorts, your mind is delighting in it. So what do you do? Do you get rid of the delight by denying the thoughts? What do you do? How do you not delight when the Buddha says he doesn't delight in that feeling? He doesn't welcome it. How do you do that? How can you do that? Can you just choose to not delight in what the mind is already delighting in? How did the Buddha do that while he was still a bodhisattva? As he said in that sutta.
3: Contemplate the danger.
1: Exactly, contemplating the context, the wisdom that you got on account of pondering and reflecting. So my mind is delighting in the prospect of this. I can't stop that. Well, what I can stop is acting out automatically, habitually, and what certainly I can't provide for this untamed mind, this beast that wants to go and feed in other people's pastures. Well, I can keep just talking to it in a sense of providing the context, the danger, reminders, and it will have to listen. It, w- it cannot ignore it. It might not listen instantaneously, but as the Buddha said, he would think about the peril, the lack of satisfaction, how this is uh, not beneficial for me or for others, and dwelling on that context while the mind delights the sensuality he would stop delighting in it. So you got rid of it. And then ill will comes, c- thoughts of cruelty come, same. You work on the sustaining the context, composing the context, the samadhi of the context of, no, this is harmful, factually harmful. You don't need to be, hmm, is this harmful? Let me look at the etymology of the word harmful. You know it's harmful. It results in further engagement, further hassle, further proliferation, further repercussions for you, for others, for both. And every time that you can remember in the past, it always resulted in the same. And that's why even you want to practice now, because on some level you already know, it is not beneficial for me. So hammer that in and keep hammering that in day and night, not blindly, like some sort of mantra, but when the mind delights towards sensuality, when the mind leans, has the attitude towards cruelty or thoughts of ill will and so on, you provide a context so the mind comes down. You can't just tell the mind to come down. Well, eventually you can. When you tamed it, then becomes pliable and listens to you. And then you could directly go over there, or go over there, or investigate this, don't think about that, and it will listen every single time. Because you did the work of taming it down first. But even then, it's not a matter of the choice that you think choice is now. The way it is. It's, it's a different different relationship, but yes, you
3: have, you have developed it. Whereas if you're used to acting out of it, going towards the content, Hmm. then asking these questions just is harder and harder and is less and less... um, Yeah, Yeah, they become more and more abstract. And and they
1: drift away. So that's why, like, first you have to stop engaging with it physically, verbally. You know, bite your tongue if you have to. And not speak and not act. Again, not just out of some mystical release. So that you can basically start discerning, oh... The context, the mind, the intentions, let me ponder on these thoughts, uh, these dangers within what mind is delighting or within what yeah. mind is resisting. It's like this, uh, in, in mundane sense, the intervention, you know, this
2: person is addicted to something and then the family gets around and I- mm. intervenes you know, mm. and tells him, look what yeah. you're doing, look what is happening. Yeah. And then maybe for a while, he gets the picture, gets the context goes to rehab or whatever but with yourself you have to that's what you're going to do with your mind yeah you know always intervene and the
1: reason why it's a good example also it's because it is kind of indirect see even in mundane sense the intervention is successful one when a person starts decides yes. on mm-hmm. account of what you've been telling him it's not a really successful one when you just force Forced. them to they might do it for as long as there is a force in Uh, applied the moment that stops they drift back because the views haven't changed
3: just understanding is when you've seen the harm
1: so you you can't I mean you can try and force your mind but you you can see what it will lead to the point is no 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 you prevent it from making it further worse further you you prevent it from kind of aggravating the situation through like non-restraint and non-virtue then your work is to just feed it this context and sustain the context and protect the context and make sure you don't forget or choose to willingly distract yourself from the context. And the mind will have to hear it because it's just that's all it sees now. Like that taming elephant, you first have to get it out of the wild forest that's, that's, that's sort of per- perpetuating its wild behavior. And then it will kick and scream when it comes down. Then, okay, well, here's the food. Here is it Oh, it starts taking the food, starts listening, starts recognizing me. Okay, now stand up, move down, do this, do this. All of that. It's on the level of making the mind turn away from things that are unbeneficial for the mind and for you. But you can't force it. You can't magically have something that will just result in this, Oh, how did I get you? Anyway, it doesn't matter. This must be what Nibbana is. No, no, you you train it away from it. Gradual training. And then it will listen to you. And then... If the mind listens to you through perpetually feeding the context, sustaining the context, whether you're sitting, walking, going to the toilet or whatever else, then you won't have to feed that context as much. And that's exactly what I would have said. Oh, wait. Now my mind is not going back to these things. I'm not getting these thoughts. It doesn't delight in sensuality anymore. There is no more cruelty. Oh, I could rest now. I don't need to be constantly working on the context, You know, the two types of thought. Okay, so let me now steady this mind internally, no work to be done. If sensuality comes coming back again, or real will, well, okay, I know what to do. The context, bring it back until the mind comes down. And that's what led into 1st John. Calming down within the right context of thinking and pondering that the mind has withdrawn from. And the context
3: is basically understanding beneficial and unbeneficial.
1: The context is always in regard to where your mind is leaning. Mm-hmm. It's not a, a universal sort of thing that's, oh, context, context. No. First, where is what's the state of the mind now? What's the, what, what are you currently feeling? What is your attitude towards what you're currently feeling? Are you delighting? Are you resisting? Are you fearing it? Context in regard to that every single time. Whenever there is a feeling present, you got to work on the context in regard to it. Otherwise, you'll be conflating feeling for your suffering.
3: Whereas, <coughs> if you're... Um, acting out of sensuality or will, um, distraction, you're, uh, what is in front of you, you cannot establish the context because you're always changing what's in front of you. Yeah. So, so or, or at least hoping that it will result in changing mm-hmm. what's in front of me, which just perpetuates the
1: view that you think the problem was there in front of you. So you're not in allowing that thing. that thing to endure. To then be able to establish... To reveal context. your attitude of the, like whether their mind is delighting or resisting and so on. You won't see the signs of your mind if you don't Just let things endure moving, on that mental mind. level.
3: Yeah. Right.
0: Are there any means how one can accelerate this process? Uh, so.
1: Well, but probably the first mean would be the question you need to ask yourself, why would you want to accelerate it?
0: Well, I mean, it's uh, obviously say we have finite life and it's better whether you believe is yeah it? but no
1: what makes you think that already the practice is not fast enough or something why do you want it to be even faster is it because it's not happening or because you still suffer so in a way yes if you understand suffering thoroughly right here and now you'll be an Arahant right here and now so means of accelerating the process are not on the level of process they're on the level of understanding so if you're you coming from a point of view of a method, are there things that I can do to speed this up? No. If you're coming from a point of view of determination to understand clarity and protecting the context, yes, and that's exactly what you do. But even then, you can't say how fast it will be. The Buddha couldn't say how fast it would be. He said, if somebody practices upon the right view, they practices four foundations of mindfulness correctly, well, it might take seven days, seven weeks seven months seven years or what uh, half half a night if they do it rightly Uh, in the same sense he gave the simile of the the carpenter with an axe he uses it he works on it he's not concerned about how quickly the handle is wearing wearing thin but he knows it has to wear thin because i'm using it so if your concern is on the acceleration means you're kind of not seeing it on the level of understanding if you're seeing on a level of understanding, consideration wouldn't bother you because you wouldn't have craving in regard to the speed of your freedom from craving.
0: So there was this uh, example from um, of um, venerable ananda who could not, um, well, wasn't in line. wasn't another hand, but, um, and he was trying to accelerate it basically. And 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 he was even reproached that, that instead of meditating, he was sort of soothing the the, the uh, people's. Uh, pain because of the demise of the Buddha. So, so apparently, or, or would you say that in, if he didn't meditate then he was, wasn't really sustaining this attitude so that he needed to really to sit uh, in order to, to make progress? I don't, I don't quite understand. Can you say it again? So, um, so apparently he, through his meditation and through, through his sitting he managed to accelerate it to the point that, that he a- attained...
1: Uh, right, 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 right. Well, again, relatively speaking, uh, it wasn't the meditation or the sitting; he was actually walking, no. and it was that did not accelerate it. It was what made him do that accelerated, and what made me, what made him do that is the fact that he, closest to the Buddha, was not allowed now to join the meeting of arahants because he's still a trainee. So it was a sense of shame, lack of accomplishment, weakness uh, that made him then make the effort. And then when he finished walking meditation and contemplation, that's what walking meditation is. It's not doing... Make, I mean, how could it? How could you watching soles of your feet, for example, But people generally would think of oh, slow movement? How can that reveal the context of the you're currently during feeling? No, only you investigate in that direction. So that's what he did. He protected the context in regard to any thought that had arisen that was of the unwholesome nature. He established his mind upon the nature of an enduring body, for example, such as that it's unownable to the point of the top of your head to the soles of your feet, and he drilled that throughout the night. He protected the context, he steadied his mind in it, he did not get distracted from it. When he said, okay, I did what I could do, I have to lay down and rest, so be it. So he did, and he realized, oh, I actually completed all the work. So he used the handle. He did not stop to check the handle. Am I accelerating this? Am I accelerating this? No, he just used it used it until his hand went numb and he just laid to sleep and then realized, oh, he wore out the handle. And yeah, then he was an arhant. But even then he couldn't tell how much he's accelerating. And the acceleration in this sense was not his committed sort of meditation technique. It was the sense of shame and lack of accomplishment, which was often found in other suttas as well. When a monk was about to kill himself because he was not free from sensuality for over 25 years of being in robes, and about to use the knife with the despair and anger and f- frustration, and then that made him practice and take up the practice correctly and finish the work, and then became an arahant.
2: That got you know, full of that. Because you he
1: basically seeing the danger. You you the well, danger. He had general. the right view. That's luck, like, yeah. So it's not a question. He didn't even know what the Dhamma is. Mm-hmm. So and that's why he felt so ashamed. For over twenty years that he's been with the Buddha. He knew what the work was. He was a sotapanna from the start, yet he didn't do it because he was too busy distracting himself with helping these people, helping those people, serving the Buddha, and, all, and and everything else. He didn't do his work. I mean, the Buddha himself reprimanded him many times quite harshly in the suttas. So it's not just a question of he doesn't have a clue what the practice is uh, and just out of a blue decided he's going to sit and meditate and in the morning he was an arahant. He knew exactly what the practice was. He just wasn't doing it. He was distracting himself from it.
0: So could you say that if you want to accelerate the work, do the work, basically? It's more as in... Well, exactly. There is no
1: magical kind of, I accelerate certain behavior, they will then result in this. No, you accelerate what you know need acceleration. And what needs acceleration is, again, protecting the context, uh, not uh, not, uh, maintaining not tolerating the mind that is sort of delighting in sensuality, having thoughts of cruelty, having thoughts of conceit and vanity and so on. So, yeah, the work needs to be done, and you could do it faster, more efficiently, if the work is clear. So if you want to accelerate the progress towards arahanship, you need to understand first what progress towards arahanship is. In other words, you need to get the right view, become a sotapana, and then you'll know exactly what to do. And if you commit to it, as the Buddha said himself, you might get it in a fortnight. You might clear your mind from any assumption, any resistance towards anything felt within a fortnight. If not, at least within seven years. If there is some residue left, well, again, you wouldn't have to worry. Eventually, it will sort itself out.
2: So you might maybe say, clarifying the work, clarifying the danger that you're in, clarifying the escape from that danger, clarifying, making an effort...
1: Yeah, but even then, even then, the point is, even then, the relationship between your context, your effort, the danger, the sense restraint, and the mind development, it's not a power of, I choose one, two, three, four, five, and this is the result. It always has Mm. that indirect certain aspect to it. So, yes, if you really withdraw your elephant from the wilderness, really use the leather straps, really feed it at the right time, right things it will calm down quicker, but that's not to say that you can influence that quickness directly to make it calm down quicker. Trying to make it calm down quicker would be stopping the work using the x-handle to check is it wearing out. You can't check it while you're using it. So you realize, let me stop checking. Let me just work and use it. When it runs out, I will know it's liberated, as the arahants would say, or oh, is it? How much? You can't quantify it in that sense.
0: So basically, um, Ananda didn't need to really to do any practice. So he, well, I mean, any, uh, say, a formal practice. So he he could just he could just have stayed. I know in his in uh, uh, his boat and and. Uh, yeah, whatever, uh, and, and this could uh, this would be this, his
1: meditation. So. Well, yeah, his med- meditation is on the level of the mind. So the meditation is on the level of uh, where the mind inclines, what the assumptions there are. So the practice is to unravel that, disentangle it. Abandon the unwholesome, cultivate the wholesome. So nobody needs to do any practice in that sense, like physically. What you physically need to do is withdraw yourself from sensuality not act out. When you're touched by unpleasant feeling, don't give rise to actions by body and by speech. Cultivate that endurance, being able to take it so you don't act out of it, so you see what the context is behind it. So what physically needs to be done is withdrawn from uh, acts of sensuality, seclusion, uh, moderation in eating, and then not spending all your time sleeping or distracting yourself with work or talking with others. That's the extent of physical methods then the watchfulness, the knowledge of intentions, that's no matter what you do physically. I mean the Buddha said when he purified his mind, entered the first jhana, then whether he was walking, going to the toilet, clearing his bowl, eating, whatever he was doing, it was divine, because the mind was fully turned away from that. He has surmounted it. And now you know, ah, so this is how I accelerate my practice. By providing the suitable food, avoiding the unsuitable food, I don't know to what degree the speed would increase, but I know for sure it will have to go in that direction. So the, the more suitable food it is, the more uh, bet, the better the withdrawal. The more effort I make into protecting the context, the faster my mind is. Like the, the, basically, the more I work with an axe handle, the more is wearing out. Just factually, it's wearing down. If I pick it up once a month, well. That's the acceleration rate, once a month. If I work with it every single day, six hours a day, well, I still, I can't see how much directly, but I know for sure it's more than once a month. And also, another reason why you cannot directly influence or no acceleration is because you don't really know how much that mind needs to be completely purified. So all you can do is provide a context and then keep working on it and that's what it says, arahants would carry on practicing mindfulness, so to speak, because it ceases to be practiced for them. And they would recognize when the mind is liberated, and they would know liberated mind as liberated mind. They would know, oh, there is no coming back to what has been liberated from. Oh, at that point, they can drop the practice, but then you realize, well, there's nothing for them to drop, because they haven't been doing anything in that sense of, oh, i got to stop these duties now. But, yeah, sense of urgency. Is an acceleration factor. Fear is an acceleration factor. Divine messengers are acceleration factors. So you want to accelerate your practice, ponder about what you're liable to, what's about to happen to your health, to your life, to the loved ones, to the things you possess. Like, inevitable, inconceivable for it to be otherwise. Yet, by ignoring it, you develop, well, people develop this assumption that. It's not going to happen. Oh, no, of course I know it's going to happen, but you don't dwell on it. If you dwell on it, then it will sink in that it will happen, and that will be felt differently. So there you go. You're going to have immediate acceleration, but be careful before you start accelerating because you better know what direction you need to accelerate to. If you still don't even know what the practice is, and then just start accelerating things, well, I suppose if you have enough composure, that could make you then really try to find out what the practice is, but it could also make you break down. So the two types of uh, two results of being touched by suffering correctly, noble search or mental derangement. that's exactly what I ended up describing here.
3: And someone said recently it's also about
1: not infinitely trying to clarify the idea of what the practice or, or, or what enlightenment enlightenment is, but also asking myself, Am I applying myself to the degree to which I have understood? understood? It. Yeah, yeah. Well that's that other I mentioned it was yesterday. So he he visits the wise man, a person intent upon his welfare, oh, I better I better find a way out of this situation. So he visits the wise man, he li- he, he doesn't look for faults, doesn't mean he accepts everything they say, no, he, he hears the teaching, then he reflexively ponders on it, then he measures the task. In other words, oh, it's not just a question of accepting the view that I presented you, it's exactly what you just said. Okay, so to this extent, this is what I do, this is how I apply myself, this is what I don't do with the pre this... Let me do it and see whether it it uh, it brings some sort of affirmation of that mm. this is the right practice and so on. But it is th- through doing you you can then find out. But not like oh this is pleasing to me, thus I accept it. Mm. Oh, I don't. This is displeasing to me because I don't like how he looks. Thus I don't accept it. That's not wisdom. Mm. Or, That's just preference. let me
2: compare. Let me go to the other wise men and the other wise men and the other wise. You can compare, compare. and see which one is. If you
1: like clarity of as to what you need to really apply, you can compare. But exactly, then you could equally lose perspective and end up being just revolving around comparisons and drawing parallels and similarities. And oh yeah, the two factors from here respond to five. And this, 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 this. are you applying any of that? Mm-hmm. If so, is there a measurable kind of freedom from suffering felt, experienced, clarity in regard to? Okay, now if there is no access to information if there is no access anymore to any sutta, any teaching, any questions and answers, would I know exactly what to do and if I stick to it, complete freedom from suffering here and now within seven days, seven months, seven years? Do I seven know that? Lifetimes. Huh? Seven lifetimes. Or seven lifetimes, sure, but yeah. you don't necessarily see that. Yeah. Yeah. Like even yeah. Saldana no. has needed to be told that by the Buddha. Mm. But this you would see, no, this mm. is the way out, I'm sure already, Do I see it? And if there is no more distractions uh, or other input, if I were to stick to it, would this free me from suffering? Do I have such knowledge? Knowing the way out, basically. And that's Sotapati, knowing the way out. That's why it says in the suttas, one who becomes Sotapanna, he's like, uh, he's beyond the instruction from anybody else. He's beyond the the changes in the views of the world. And he's certainly beyond. following any other teacher, in a sense, even if the entire world says, oh, the Buddha was wrong, well, he knows that the entire world is wrong. Because on account of understanding what the Buddha instructed, he himself, here and now, sees the complete freedom from suffering. But then, yeah, he can become negligent, distracted, and so on, because he's kind of free on one level, certainly from Putujana's point of view, which is why the complacency can set in. And that's why the Buddha needed to constantly remind the, the noble disciples that there is still work to be done thus do it because you can it's right there or if some external c- circumstance prompted them such as mm. the Buddha's passing away the despair the shame oh okay now there's really nothing else worth of my time see that's what Ananda felt he felt serving the Buddha being around the Buddha was a justifiable distraction because as far as the distractions go it was pretty justifiable
0: so isn't it in a wrong view sorry isn't isn't it a wrong view? Which one? That that there is justifiable
1: destruction? Uh, not necessarily like a wrong view in terms of not knowing what the way out of suffering is. It's, a, it's a certainly an impediment. A distraction is distraction. That's why mm-hmm. Sotapan is not an Arahant. But Sotapan doesn't have the wrong views. But he still has the hindrances. He still has the distraction. He still has degree of lust, aversion, conceit. So I wouldn't say it's a wrong view. I would say it's a you can have it with the right view that has not been fully developed those are the residues the distraction the lust the the, the, the irritation the hindrances only arahant is beyond has destroyed hindrances
0: but i mean it, it's it's a false false uh, conception which one uh, well that there, 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 there is something which is worse of
1: distracting myself so basically no it's uh, a relative i wouldn't say it's false As I said, as far as the distractions go, serving the Buddha, it's least harmful distraction. But yes, from an Arahant's point of view, or one one who wants to be an Arahant, it's a distraction, which is why the Buddha kept telling him off as well, to not distract himself. But if, if, if that were to be on the level of the view, then there would be no noble disciples that understood the path, but haven't fully developed. It would be either you have a wrong view, you know nothing, and you have a right view, you are an Arahant. But there is the whole area in between, which is often why people can't understand how can Sotabana not want to practice for Nibbana, become distracted from it, engage with sensuality. Well, that's how. It's not on the same level. You got the overall view, the freedom, the way out, but now you got to do it. Now you got to protect your mind from unwholesome. I mean, the Buddha gave I don't know, maybe not hundreds, but many similes exactly. Like I would come and I would pull the arrow out of the wound. The surgeon would come and do that and tell, listen, good man, I pulled the arrow, no more poison left, but the wound is still there. It will take time for it to heal. If you want to accelerate its healing, eat the right food, don't eat the wrong food. Cover it up, don't expose it to dust and the sun and so on. But then that man would, well, Expose it to the dust. Expose it to the sun. Eat the unsuitable food. Food, the wound would get infected, and he would suffer on account of it. And then give exactly. That's how somebody gets the right view, pulls the arrow of ignorance, the the poisonous humour of craving, and so on. But factually, the mind still needs time to tame down. But then they go and do unsuitable things, attend to unsuitable things, distract themselves, so they perpetuate the wound unnecessarily. That's the difference here.
0: So can one then say that a Sotapanna um, has, uh, let's say, right view with regard to the practice, but he might have uh, lots of wrong views uh, regarding, um, um, well, m- maybe even regarding the hindrances? Uh,
1: well, no, see, again, it's not... Th- the views you're talking about... So right view is not on the level of opinion about the practice. Right view is the existential attitude. Now sure within an existential retitude of right kind or wrong kind you can have many irrelevant views like sotapanna can have many views on other things that have nothing to do with the practice or they're secondary to it but fundamentally his right the, the nature of the right view it means that it's not on the level of the same level as wrong views and opinions or generally ideas that people would have it's the view that basically has uprooted the atavada in regard to any view you might have so it's not just over there comparable
3: so they might be ignorant about like some worldly thing
1: well they might be ignorant, ignorant about the uh, those like more Uh, more uh, detailed aspects of the Dhamma or the Buddha's instruction because they haven't done it long enough they haven't pondered it long enough but they cannot be ignorant about with this this is about the nature of not self about where the true uh, cause of suffering is and where the true escape they can't be ignorant about that Mm -hmm. it says like he Panna could engage in sensuality
2: but if he had to ask himself or look is this good beneficial he wouldn't need to oh yeah Yeah. but
1: then he couldn't do it
2: because well that's I the thing
1: so, so what sotapanna can do is turn a blind eye to his right existential attitude of the right view mm. and that's like when people did become sotapannas, and then okay but you know uh, let me go and you know home uh, mother, wives I have to look after as in they are content now with that deeper understanding of where the escape is because see you can be in the prison and it, what is really frightening is you don't know the way out like, really, you don't know the way out. It's just you're completely entrapped. And then you find the way out. You fully... And even the guards are not aware of it. Nobody's aware of it. And you can see it, and you can go halfway up and come back, but you're not leaving the prison yet. Because it's going to be a bit unpleasant to crawl through the way out. And also, you got some friends and people you need to help in here before you go out. Because if I go out, you're on your own. You don't exist for me anymore. But... I wanna help them. They helped me here before I knew the way out, or whatever, children, dependents and so on. So they postpone the way out. That is going nowhere. And that's another sense of safety where it comes from. Sotapat right view, it's not going anywhere. And that's exactly why they can procrastinate. And and that like I didn't, the first time you read it it's like, but how can they cause the idea of enlightenment is just this experience and it's just boom, done, finished, there's nothing in between. But then you have the Buddha constantly reprimanding monks, sotapana, sakadagamis, anagamis, for not completing the work. Well, that's how you not complete the work. You know where the work is, it requires doing, but there is something else keeping you to this. Justifiable, not some ridiculous... Yeah, sewing robes. Yeah, yeah when well, they were sewing robes and, and spreading the order and teaching the, the nuns and all of that. But at the same time, have you escaped all the way out? You gotta put that first and and that's it. that's exactly what i'm that's exactly the difference here and see now, although a Sotopana of would choose to stay in that prison, there is no more fear, there is no more dread and terror from the guards from from not knowing the escape because oh you know the escape, and not just that you know the escape, you know that you know the escape, and anything that could block that escape does not even know about the escape, so it's a it's an internal. Uh, dimension between you and escape that nobody, not anything in the world devas, brahmas, anything can come in between so yeah, it's pretty much quite an immeasurable confidence but you do have to start crawling up that escape eventually, and Ananda did when there was no more justifiable reasons for him to stay in the prison paired with all the shame that he felt on account of Arahants dismissing him I mean, Maha Kasipa was quite blunt some might say rude on a number of occasions calling him young boy and stuff like that he says well you call me young boy I have grey hairs and they're completely disrespecting him because he's not doing the work not that he doesn't know what the work is he's just distracting himself and from somebody's point of view like Maha Kasapa, who was like the foremost austere determination Janas as it will hemp robes rough forest refusing any comfort yeah you could see why he was talking the way he was talking so it was quite a contrast
2: for him only so just seven days he says <laughs> yeah, 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 debtor. yeah I was when
3: eating the it, food out, debtor. Yeah. seven, seven days, days he was done too long yeah.
1: <laughs> when the Buddha called him and says hey come on you finish your work you're old now like getting on like while living in the rough forest and uh, wearing rough robes and living of poor food I get plenty of robes I get plenty of dwellings come and you can partake in it because you did the work he says no, 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 whoever can obtain jhanas at will and all these states of mind at will, this is this is heaven this is so pleasant, and it would we'll appraise him for practicing for the future generation, not for him
3: mm-hmm.
1: for the future, as in like it's inspiring, what he's doing, it's inspiring